Well, good morning. Uh, be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was going to be here this morning uh, standing uh, to share this with you. There was an opportunity for me uh, to go to Israel, and uh, I was supposed to leave Friday, and as of up to last Wednesday, was still looking like a possibility, but things fell apart at the last minute, and that's why I'm here. It's also one of the reasons why last Sunday you got another question of Jesus moved into the new year, uh, but we're not going to continue that series anymore. We're starting something new. So grab your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 2. When I was growing up, I, uh, I often heard the term pillars of the church. Maybe some of you have uh, heard that as well, familiar with that term. A pillar of the church has nothing to do with the architecture of the building, but rather uh, the membership of the church. If a person has uh, shown themselves to be solid, uh, reliable, consistent, active, faithful, dependable, over the long haul within a a church body, they, they would get the name Pillar of the Church. Uh, so when I was a young kid in church, I remember hearing names, the names like Gene James and Al Morgan and, and Mabel Swanson, who, by the way, is the lady who came up with the name Halawasa for our camp back in the 1970s. And, and my parents would talk of these people and say, oh, they're pillars of the church, um, solid, solid members. So today uh, we're going to start a new message, a new series of messages uh, on who, what, and why we are. And maybe you think, well, yeah, we can answer that question real easy. We are the Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church. But what does that really mean? See, we, we always want to go back to Scripture because we want the Bible to define the who, what, and why we are. So today I'm, I'm going to begin this, this relatively brief uh, series by looking at some of the things that I believe are pillars of the church. And by that, I do not mean to refer to any particular individuals or that type of thing. I'm using that phrase, rather, to talk about some foundational truths that we really need to make sure we understand uh, first if we want to know who, what, and why we are as a church. So that's where we're going to begin. I, I selected this verse from Hebrews to start with today, not because it really has anything specific to do um, with, with uh, the scripture text I'm going to be talking about, but, but you'll see why it applies as we go through the message this morning. So Hebrews chapter 2, we're just going to read verse 1, says this, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to worship this morning. God, we worship in so many ways, in, in giving, in fellowship, in singing your praises. And now, God, we worship by going to your word and looking and seeking what you would have for us this morning. So may our hearts and minds be open. Would you keep us free from distraction? And God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be free to work in each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we actually start answering that question of who, what, and why we are, uh, I want to begin by answering the question of 
why are we even doing this, right? Why, why spend time looking at who we are as a church? And, and to answer that question, I, I'm going to start by just telling you a bit of a story. Some of you have heard this before, others of you not, but I know many of you know that I was not planning to be a pastor when I was young. In fact, I didn't really know what I was planning to be uh, even when I graduated from high school. I went to college not because I had some great career path mapped out for me and was going to follow that. I ended up going to college because a couple of friends of mine came up to me one day during my last semester of high school and said, hey, we're going to go to college at Trinity Western. You want to come? And I said, okay. Um, And that's how I got there. At the time, I had never even heard of Trinity Western and, uh, and uh, wasn't even really thinking uh, about college. But it turns out that, uh, that Trinity is a, is a great Christian university affiliated with the Evangelical Free Church of America located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. And I highly recommend it. I mean, it was an awesome, awesome college. Uh, by my second year, uh, they were wanting me to declare a major. I still didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Uh, and so following the advice of, uh, of a godly mentor who had been kind of feeding into my life a bit, I, I decided to, to get my degree in physical education. And, and at, even with that, at first I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do with that degree. Uh, I liked coaching. I thought about teaching, uh, this type of thing. But by my senior year again of, of college, um, I had what I thought was a pretty solid strategy uh, laid out. However, uh, since, since I'm here speaking to you, instead of following my plans, you can know what God thought about my strategies. Um, but my plans actually included me using my phys ed degree. Uh, I had uh, read uh, a history of the YMCA. If you're not familiar with it, during the Industrial Revolution in in London, uh, uh, the city of London attracted thousands upon thousands of young men, most of them ages 14 to 25, and they were all looking for jobs. And, And many of these men lived in very shabby tenement housing or even just out on the streets. And there was a 22-year-old department store worker named George Williams who saw this and decided, man, this is really fertile ground for the gospel. So he gathered a couple of his friends together and they started an organization that they dubbed the Young Men's Christian Association, YMCA. And their vision and their mission, as they stated it, was to make a place for Bible study and prayer providing a refuge from the hazards of living on the street. And they quickly attracted a number of young men for this Bible study. And while they were meeting, George noticed that these guys were getting pretty soft and weak and out of shape by just lounging around the streets. They didn't have jobs, many, most of them, and all this kind of stuff. And so he decided to add some... Uh, games, sports, physical activities for them as well. And that way he thought he could help them in both body and in spirit. 
And plus the, the physical activity helped to attract some guys who would be willing to come to the group meetings who wouldn't necessarily have shown up for just a Bible study. And so it worked as a really good combination. And it was very, very successful. He ended up drawing in hundreds and hundreds of men and, and many uh, uh, were converted uh, to faith in Christ through that ministry. Well, about seven years later, 1851, there was a retired sea captain named Thomas Valentine Sullivan and he was working as uh, a marine missionary up and down the east coast of the United States. But of course, during his career, he had spent much time going back and forth between the United States and London. And, and as a Christian, he had seen what George was doing in London with, with his YMCA organizations that were meeting around there. And he saw the same type of social problems and issues especially in his home port of Boston. And so he began the very first American chapter of the YMCA's in the Old South Church of Boston, if you're much into history. Um, the Old South Church of Boston uh, housed the first YMCA there. And because, of course, uh, he was a missionary, his number one uh, um, desire and concern was the spiritual needs of these men that, that had no purpose in life and, and no jobs and, and these bad conditions and working on their spirit. So Bible study and prayer was his primary uh, focus as well. But like George back in London, he included some games and activities as a way to attract and, and give them an outlet for the need for physical strenuous exercise. That's the, the founding of the YMCA's. So how many of you have ever thought, I'm going to go down to the YMCA to join a Bible study or to be part of a prayer group or as a place for evangelism, giving people the, the hope of the gospel? See, unless you, unless you knew the history of those things, I doubt you would associate any of those with the YMCA. In, in fact, you rarely see that name, YMCA, anymore, right? It's just been shortened to the Y. Uh, even on their official website, uh, that's all you'll find is just the Y. And if you go to their website, you can read what their mission and vision statement currently is. It says, by nurturing the potential of every child and teen, improving the nation's health and well-being, and supporting and serving our neighbors, the Y ensures that everyone has the opportunity to become healthier, more confident, connected, and secure. You don't find anything anywhere on their website about prayer and Bible study. So, my plan as I was getting ready to graduate from college was really simple. I was going to go out, get involved in the YMCA's, work my way up the chain of leadership to, to the National Leadership Board, and then do my best to pull that organization back towards its original vision and mission statement. I mean, I thought it would be great if these YMCAs that were already scattered all over the United States and were doing a good job of bringing in youth and children from their communities, I thought it'd be great if they became places, once again, of Bible study and prayer and gospel outreach. 
And God obviously had a very different plan for my life. And you know what? It, it turns out that he already had an organization in place for Bible study, prayer, and outreach. It's called the church. So why, why bring the YMCA into this at all this morning? Well, because of what happened to it, right? I mean, it, it started out as a great um, organization. It had, had an awesome vision and mission statement. It was solid, biblical venture. It, and it began with a passion for reaching people for Jesus Christ and to help those people grow in their faith and their walk with God. In short, it was a vision of what we are supposed to be doing as a church. But unfortunately, long, long ago, it drifted away from that vision. I mean, just a few decades, several decades after its uh, founding, Bible study and prayer became not the central focus, but an optional sideline thing that you could do over in one of the corner rooms. And not too many decades after that, it was no longer a part of what they offered. Instead, the focus was on physical health and well-being. And if you do go to their website now, you will see that the YMCA has actually become a strong advocate for social positions that would go directly against what the Bible teaches. And you know what? They're not the only organization that started out biblically strong and then drifted away. I mean, it happens to Christian schools and, and universities, to clubs and other groups, and sadly, it has even happened to churches and, and whole denominations. Therefore, I, I think it's important for us to periodically remind ourselves of who, what, and why we are in order to ensure that drift does not happen to us. Even though some of you here may say, well, you know, I've heard this before because I have preached on it every so often because I think it's important. I, I think I'm on pretty solid biblical ground in going over it again. Uh, the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Right? When he says remind you again, that makes it obvious that these were things that they had already heard multiple times. The Apostle Peter said nearly the same thing to another group that he was writing to. He says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. So all of that to, to say, I, I believe we need consistent reminders so that we do not drift away. And that's one of the reasons why 
This idea of having constant reminders uh, that we have these, these banners uh, uh, up on the wall there. That's not just pretty decorations with some nice sounding words on it. Those, those are uh, our core values, uh, the essential elements of who, what, and why we are. Uh, and we, we don't ever want to be able to get away with them. So we have them there. So we see them every Sunday when we come in. And, and we'll actually get to those uh, a little further down uh, the road here a subsequent message but for today I, I want to spend the remainder of our time just defining one basic term one pillar that everybody has to make sure they understand correctly if we want to know who what and why we are as a church next week we'll we'll start moving a little more quickly through some of these other things but we'll just needed to get this start in this introduction uh, this week. So that first term, uh, the one that we have to make sure we understand if we don't want to drift away, if we don't want to lose the vision and mission that God has given us, is church. I mean, we probably all think we know what church is, but the reality is in our current culture, we use the word all wrong at least compared to how the Bible uses it. Currently in, in, in our culture, uh, we use the word church primarily in three different ways. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, this, this wrong use of the word church is embraced and, and, and common and used by both believers and non-believers, by both those inside the church and those outside the first way that we use the word church uh, nowadays is to refer to an organization right you might say well I belong to the evangelical free church and someone else might say well I, I go to Calvary Baptist Church or I go to Hot Springs Wesleyan Church or you know we use it to refer to, to a specific organization second and I think this is probably the most common we frequently use the word church to refer to building right a building we're meeting next Saturday to clean the church I'm going to swing by the church to drop off some chocolate for Pastor Mark. <laughs> it, it could happen. That's something you could say. I don't this spring, we're going to paint the church, right? What's the address for your church? If you asked people, both those inside and outside, to draw a picture of the church, I would bet you the vast majority of people are going to sketch a building. The third way that we use the word church, that's again wrong, is sometimes to refer to the main worship service. Next Sunday, I'm going to sing for church. Well, not me, because nobody would want to hear that. But again, somebody might say that. What time do you guys have church? 
right? It's referring to the worship service. What style of music do you use at church? Somebody sat in my seat this morning at church, right? We're, we're, we're using those words to refer to the service. Now, uh, when I say that uh, we use the word church all wrong, I do not mean to say that it is somehow morally or ethically wrong to do it that way. It is not a sin when you use uh, the word church in those ways. We do, we understand what it means, we know what they're talking about and that kind of stuff. And, And chances are, unless somebody can come up with some better terms that we can start moving around, people are still going to refer to this building as a church and, uh, and services and all those types of things. But the truth is, we, we need to understand how the Bible uses the word church because if we understand, we have a tendency to project our understanding when we see that word in the Bible. And if we think in terms of building or or a specific service or an organization, we have that chance of misunderstanding or missing out on what the Bible is really teaching about the church when we hear that. And um, the Bible actually uses the word church in two different ways. But in both of its applications, it always refers to people. To people, not organizations, not buildings, and not services. So, for instance, you would have in Colossians 1.24, the Apostle Paul said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in, uh, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, Jesus, his body, which is the church. Okay, Most of you are probably familiar with the idea that, that in the New Testament... Uh, the group of all believers are called the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and and believers are the body of Christ. And here he is saying that us, his body, another name for it is the church. His body, the body of Christ is the church. The, The Bible calls all believers the body of Christ and the church. So, so that means the church is made up of all believers Everywhere, right? If you asked Paul or Peter or any of those New Testament Christians, what is the church? They would tell you that the church is all those people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. And if we're going to be technically correct, we need to understand that that means all people all over the world for all time. Which means there's a lot of church members that are already up in heaven with Jesus, right? Uh, and the rest of us are scattered all over the globe down here waiting for that time. The scholars dub that the universal church. And, and they, they use that term, universal church, to differentiate between the second way that the Bible commonly uses the word church, again, referring to people, and that is uh, to uh, talk about uh, the local, the Christians in a local gathering, in a local congregation. Uh, every, every gathering uh, of uh, Christians in a specific locale, wherever that might be, is the church. 
Um, so you'll read something like, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So that letter was written to all of the believers, all of the Christians there in Thessalonica. Or you read something like, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that is in your house, meaning the people who have gathered at that house to worship. Since transportation in those days was, was tough, and there was no such thing uh, until about 250 years later uh, of a public building like this uh, for meeting for church, in many of the larger cities, Christians would meet in someone's house. And, and since houses were small, that would mean just a small gathering at a number of different houses around the city. And each gathering, each house, was a, called a church. And all of them together in that city were the church of Thessalonica. Right? Uh, that's how the church was used. It referred to all those people. So, we understand, hopefully, every time you come across the word church in the Bible, you're, you're understanding it is a gathering of believers. That that's, that's what the word means. When you show up here on Sunday morning, you don't come to church. You bring the church to this building, right? Every Sunday morning, you drag the church out of bed... And you bring it here. We need to make sure we get that. And maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I, 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 I get that, but I don't understand why is that so important? What difference, I mean, really, what difference does that make in terms of how we label this thing here? And I think the big difference it makes is in the area of application, right? Right? Because when you read the New Testament and you come across that word church, if you think in terms of building or organization or, or service, you're going to end up missing some of the great meaning or application of it. So just, just as an example, take the very first mention of the word church in the Bible. First mention of it happened in, in Matthew chapter 16 with, with Jesus. And Jesus was asking the disciples, well, who do people think I am? Right? And the people, they... The disciples listed off a whole bunch of different things that people were saying about Jesus and who he might be. And then, then Jesus nailed, you know, narrowed it down and he pegged them. And he says, oh, yeah, but, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, remember the Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. You, this is you, that's who you are. And, and, and that was the right answer. And Jesus was very pleased with that. And, and he praised Peter. And then he went on to teach just a little bit about the church. For the very first mention of the word church in the Bible says this. I, meaning Jesus speaking here, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So what is it that is not going to be overpowered by hell? Obviously, He's not referring to a building or to a worship service which can and often has been overrun or even to an organization like 
the Baptists or Ephraers or anyone else. He's talking about all of God's people. Though Satan may marshal the forces of this world through corrupt and, and evil governments as has happened in the past and currently happening now in parts of the world, and I guarantee you it will happen more and more in the future. People bent on restricting, on pushing down, even eliminating the church. Though Satan may do that with all his might, he will not be able to stop the spread of Christianity because Jesus is building his church, the body of believers. And even though Satan may weasel his way into various churches or denominations, and get them to deny the clear teachings of the Bible or to abdicate the authority of God's Word, He will not bring down or destroy the true church because Jesus is building His church. And no matter where you're at in this world, no matter what's going on, no matter how bleak it may look for organized Christian religion, that will not stop or daunt the true church. That's pretty good to know, isn't it? And you, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of that. But here's where we need to re- make sure we understand it because you're more than just a part of it. It's very personal, right? Because you are the church. That's the way the Bible uses the word. We need to think of that. I am the church. And so when the Bible talks about what the church is doing and what God is doing for the church and through the church, that's you. He's doing that for you and through you. Which means Jesus is promising that the gates of Hades will not overpower you. Imagine being a Christian right now in North Korea where people are told to worship the supreme leader there. Where being a Christian or talking about Jesus or owning a Bible or meeting for worship is illegal. And you can be arrested and imprisoned for any of those things. And so as you're meeting secretly to pray with other believers, it might seem like at any moment the church could be overpowered or that you personally might be taken, arrested, beaten, imprisoned. But do you understand that even if all of those things happened, even if you were killed for your faith you have not been defeated and God's church has not been defeated for in death oftentimes the spread of the gospel blossoms 
and in our death personally. Well, we get to go see Jesus face to face and receive our reward. Truth is, we can't lose because Jesus is building his church. So now imagine being a Christian in the United States, in Hot Springs. What fears have kept you from living out your faith with boldness? Isn't it great to know that the gates of hell, though they should come against you, cannot prevail? And maybe you felt like that once or twice. Maybe you felt like, man, everything's crashing down on me. Everything's going wrong. Uh, Nothing is working. I I want you to understand, Jesus has promised to build his church. It means to build you. And you will not be overcome. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you again that you are the master, the architect, the builder of the church. And God, help us to understand church is not something we do. It's not something we show up for. We are the church. Every every promise you have given For the church is a promise for us what you are doing in and through our life and what you desire to do in and through our life. So God, may we walk in that boldness and courage of faith knowing that you are the one who is building your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.